a sudden it's a lot quieter in here. It's, it's a lot more calm. Yeah, thank you, Kendra. I don't like it, she says. All right, so you guys just feel free to, to squirm, to talk, to giggle, to laugh, to pitch the person next to you, and it'll feel like they haven't even left yet. Oh, business cards, right? Do we even still use business cards? Do, do we still live in a world that, that uses business cards? I mean, I guess whether or not somebody even knows what they are is an answer to that. So I asked you right when we started to text me what your title would be on your business card. And I got some texts, and hopefully a few more will come in. Um, Jim, I love this. Jim is the head coach over at Shadle Park, the head coach of the football team. And his (laughs) his business card would say, equipment manager. (laughs) And coach in parentheses. That's good. That's good. Aaron. Aaron would say rocket scientist, but rocket like his dog. Well done. Aaron, do they, I mean, I was thinking about this. Under 30 years old, do you guys still use business cards? No. No. That answered my question. We could probably just stop. Let's pray. (laughs) All right. Uh, Becky. Becky's would say librarian extraordinaire. Like that. That's good. Feel free to like go ooh or ah, any of those, okay? Uh, Dr. Frank, his business card would say physician. Ooh. <laughs> like that's, that's legit. He is a doctor. Um, <laughs> Art, Art would hand you a business card that says retired. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Kendra, Kendra would say child care owner. That is why it is no fun for you when the kids leave the service. Randy, oh sweet, my phone keeps buzzing. Randy's would say salesman, awesome. Tim's would say worship director, web developer, and triathlete. That's a long business card. But good job, go ahead and say ooh. I like that. Nancy, Nancy's would say board member and account executive. Uh, I'm gonna save that one for later, that one's good. Um, Elena's would say chaplain for one of her business cards. And a pastor to the seniors for another one. All right, Heidi's. <laughs> wow, people just keep texting. Well done. Um, Jeremy's would say PT assistant, physical therapy assistant. Kyle's would say major engineer, U.S. Army Reserves. Heidi's. Well, since Heidi's husband doesn't have a cell phone, John's would say doctor of motor vehicles. <laughs> He's not going to let you get by with that one. DMV is what it would say for short. <laughs> and Heidi's, Heidi's would say, boss of all things. <laughs> That's good. I really like that. Boss of all things. So I handed out my business card about 10 days ago at a, at a church board meeting at a different church. And I had to check and make sure before I did that all of my information was correct on it. Because it had been a long time since I actually got it out of my drawer and decided to hand it to some people. And the, the beautiful thing about business cards is they have all your information on them. They've got your name. Hopefully your name is spelled right. So now nobody has an excuse to not call you by your right name or not spell your name correctly. Um, they've got your business name and your address, where you work. So somebody can't say, oh, James, you're the pastor of the Baptist church. No, it says free Methodist on here. Actually, it just says first church. So that could get confusing. You know, it's got all your contact information, your work phone, your cell phone, your email address, maybe your social media handles. 
I don't even know what that means, but it sounded good to say it like that. And a fax machine, if they still use faxes, maybe the most important thing on there, maybe not, but is, is the title. The person's title. You know, what, what you should be addressed by. This is great because if you're talking to somebody and you're not getting through to them, you can know, okay, is there somebody higher up the ladder that I can go and talk to? Wouldn't it be great if Jesus had a business card? Michael thinks so. You can say amen, Michael. Amen. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus had a business card? Now, some of you guys who grew up in a church, you're thinking, Pastor, what are you holding? That is his business card. And if you grew up in the church and you believed everything a pastor says, Lord help you, and you believe what scripture says, good for you, then that'd be great. But if you didn't grow up in the church, it would be good to know who Jesus is. It'd be good to know what to call him. I mean, it can get confusing. Do you call him God? Do you call him God's son? Do you call him Messiah, Savior? Any of those things. What does all of it mean anyways? The Apostle Paul was writing to a church in the city of Colossae when he called Jesus this. He said, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Visible image of the invisible God. That'd be a cool title on a business card. That would be a little bit longer business card, but that, that would be sweet. I would love to have a business card from Jesus. I mean, but I, I don't know if today, like Aaron said, people under 30, they may not even use business cards. And I think part of that is because they don't care about somebody's title, right? We want to know who somebody is by what they do, by what they say, by, by who they are. We've got insiders, outsiders, sojourners, seekers, all today wrestling with the question, who is Jesus? And most people don't just want to hear a title. They want to experience him. They want to see him. They want to find him. Let's pray, and then we'll see what we see and find and experience. Lord God, thank you again for this opportunity to gather today to worship you. And we realize that worship is more than just singing songs. It's, it's also our time of interaction with each other. It's our time interacting with your story. Um, it, it's all of it. As we pray, as we think, as we ponder, this is all worship. So I pray that as we open your word, that our hearts would be prepared to worship you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are, uh, we just finished a three-week Easter series, and we're jumping back into a sermon series that we started before Easter called a Catechumenate, the Basics. Say that first word with me, Catechumenate. That's right, half of you can't say it, 99 and a half of you can't print, like can't spell it, myself included. Over half of our adults in this church are doing this Catechumenate study in small groups, it's a discipleship process done in conjunction with Whitworth University, and it, the title really says it all. The catechumenate, which is a fancy churchy word of saying the process of learning and the basics, the basics of our faith. So we are learning the basics of our faith. Now, the goal isn't just to get more information up here. The goal is formation of our entire being. We want to know what we believe, why we believe it, how we got to this point of belief, and does it make any difference in our everyday lives? Uh, we're about six weeks into this journey, into this, into this study, and if it's the first time you're hearing about it, it means you're either new with us or you weren't paying attention at all during Easter, um, both of which are fine because we're glad you're here this morning. If this sounds at all interesting to you, 
and you'd like to hear more, you'd like to maybe jump in with the group, contact us, okay? Call us, text us, email us, grab a business card in my after, and just reach out, and we'll see if we can't get you connected in a group. Now, so far, we've looked at three different things. The first question was, does God exist? And I don't know how well we answered that, but hopefully we would all say yes. The second question that we wrestled with was God in story, just seeing how God was displayed throughout the story. The third question was, who is God? And today, we begin a little two-week series on who is Jesus. Now, we're going to focus our time in the Gospel of Mark. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it. And if you don't know where Mark is, turn to the middle, right, and then flip towards the back. If you're not quite sure how these work, on the tops of the pages, there are the, the names of the book and the number, which is the chapter of the, the book that you're in. So, you know, if you start in the middle, it's around Psalms, and then you start going backwards, it's Proverbs, it's Isaiah, it's Jeremiah, Daniel, you'll eventually get to the Gospel of Mark. Now, the Gospel of Mark is believed to have been written by a guy named John Mark. And he was a traveling companion with the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. And many believe that what Mark wrote was the Apostle Peter's account of Jesus' life. So they think that Peter got together with Mark and said, let me tell you the story of Jesus, and then Mark wrote it down. And Peter would have been a good guy to tell the story of Jesus, because as I like to say, I think he was one of Jesus' best friends. All right, so Mark begins his account of Jesus' life with a business card-type statement. Chapter 1, verse 1. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. If Mark was asked, who is Jesus, Mark doesn't pull any punches. Mark believes he's the Son of God. And it's, I mean, he just shows that right off the bat. Now, here's the, here's the crazy thing. Mark says this in verse 1 of chapter 1. Another human being doesn't call Jesus that until the very end of the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 15, verse 39, it's after Jesus has been crucified. So he was betrayed, arrested, tried, convicted, beaten, and now that he was crucified, had died. And the person who was overseeing the crucifixion said this. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the Son of God. That's chapter 15, verse 39. No human in between that and chapter 1, verse 1 calls Jesus that, but Mark does. He starts his narrative like that, and since he is the storyteller, he has a right to do that. Now, here's something I find very cool. For the rest of this story, for the rest of this gospel, Mark doesn't just pound it down your throats as to who he claims Jesus is as son of God. Sometimes he's pretty forward, but other times he drops hints. Hints that maybe we get Maybe we today understand, but hints that maybe the people who first heard the story would have understood better than we do. For example, verses 2 and 3. Mark continues, it began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. Now, let me show you something. Without reading on, who was that messenger? John the Baptist, okay? Because that's what you guys have grown up being taught, and because that's what verse 4 says. All right? So today, 2,000 years after Jesus lived, our focus becomes, oh, wow, this messenger was John. He was really preparing the way, and that's because verses 4 through 8 talk about that. But the original listeners, the original people who heard this story, they might have heard something different. Hey, okay? this story was written about 30 years after Jesus uh, walked the earth. 
Um, so they may have thought back to John the Baptist, but more than likely, as longtime Jews, they would have thought back to the prophets who actually said these things. So this started with the prophet Malachi. And as he was talking, what he's actually doing in this prophecy is he's stating that God is about to show up. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 begins, Look, I'm sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way for me. We heard that in Mark, Mark's first, uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 2. See, but then he continues, The Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom, you've, whom you look for so eagerly, is surely coming. It's as if Mark is saying, yes, this is John the Baptist, but think back. The Lord will arrive. The Lord is surely coming, and you guys are preparing the way for him. Is Mark being subtle? Maybe. How about from Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 40, the other passage that Mark is referencing. Verse 3 says, listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make the straight highway, make a straight highway through a wasteland for our God. And you recognize that in Mark chapter 1, verse 2, clear the way through the wilderness. But Isaiah is saying, God's coming. God is on his way. Fill in the, valley, the valleys, level the mountains and the hills, straighten the curves, smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For Mark's original listeners, as he quotes these passages, my guess is they also knew what was coming, and they were thinking to themselves, wait, Mark, Mark's saying something. Is God going to arrive? I mean, this is subtle on Mark's part. God, son of God, The next clue Mark drops isn't quite as subtle. He tells the story of Jesus being baptized. Verse 9. One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John, the Bap and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. Now, I told you moments ago that no human in between chapter 1, verse 1 and 1539 calls Jesus the Son of God. No human does. But God the Father continues. A voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. God's beloved son, son of God. We're listening to Mark tell this story. Subtle hint? I don't think so. And I've got to wonder if Mark is sitting there in, in these first 11 verses like, okay, how many times do I have to say it and how many different ways for them to understand who this is? Now maybe, in an inspired type of way, John Mark knew that someday, down the road, maybe 2,000 years down the road, people wouldn't be as impressed with just the business card title. And he, would, he, he knew that maybe they would want to understand the, the person that he was uh, proclaiming by what he did, what he said, the way people interacted with him. So the rest of chapter 1, which you got to hear earlier, the rest of chapter 1 shows the interactions that Jesus is having with people. It starts off uh, with Jesus calling two sets of brothers. Verses 16 to 20, I won't read it, uh, but Jesus calls them. He says, hey, you guys should come follow me. And a lot of us think, wow, they just dropped everything and went? Was that the first they had heard of Jesus? Most people don't think it was. Okay? They, they probably had heard of him, but maybe they didn't know what Mark was saying was his business card title. 
So all of a sudden, you get five guys there, right? All of a sudden, it's a party. And they start walking along. And, and what do the, the disciples, the new disciples, what do they start to see? What do they start to experience? Right away, they experience a power in Jesus' teaching. Verses 21 and 22. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and he began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. You jump down to verse 27, and it says, Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. Now, if you're in one of the catechumenate groups, perhaps you've watched the video already, but if you haven't, you're going to see Dr. Jerry Sitzer share what made Jesus' teaching so different, what, what gave it such authority. See, teachers in that day, religious teachers in that day were called rabbis. And rabbis would go to rabbi schools, all right? And, and they would sit under more senior rabbis. And they would study what those rabbis said, what they taught, how they lived. And then eventually they'd get sent out to do their rabbi thing. And as they were out preaching and teaching, they would quote their senior rabbi. They would say, well, this rabbi in this thought said this, so we should do it. As far as we know, Jesus didn't have a senior rabbi. He didn't go to rabbi school, so he never quoted so-and-so rabbi in such-and-such such a rabbinical thought. He just taught, which gave him some authority, different than what the people were used to hearing. Now, also, people speaking for the Lord were named prophets. And prophets in those days, they spoke on God's behalf, and when they spoke, they would say, Thus saith the Lord. Say that with me, because I like to hear us try and say it together. Thus saith the Lord. Oh, that was good. And then they'd say, God tells me to tell you this. Say that. God tells me to tell you this. Jesus never said that. He never stood up and said, thus saith the Lord. No, he said, but I say to you. And the people probably sat there and thought, He's not proclaiming for God. Maybe, ooh, wow, John Mark is good. John Mark's really good. He's dropping hints here, saying maybe that's God himself. Hmm. Say that with me. Hmm. Michael was ready for that one. <laughs> so there's power in Jesus' teaching, okay? Not just a business card, here's Jesus, son of God, you should follow him. But there's power in his teaching. Now, there's also power just in his spoken word. We saw that. I don't know if you caught it when, when Juliana read it, but just in his spoken word, there's amazing power. Jesus told the demon, get out. What happened? The demon got out, right? Jesus, in, in, in uh, verse 40, he comes across a man with leprosy. The, the guy comes to him, kneels before him, begs him to be healed, and he says, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus was moved with compassion. He reached out, touched him. He said, I'm, I'm willing. Be healed. And he was healed. There was power just in his spoken word. Be healed. No wavings of arms, no ointment, no magic bathtubs, no hocus pocus, none of that. Jesus just spoke and the man was healed. I've got to wonder how long did it take those two sets of brothers just to pause and be like, oh. I wonder if, like, you know, Andrew said to Simon, hey, did you get his business card? I don't even see who this guy is. 
right? Did, did John say to his brother James, hey, bro, did you catch what company he's working for? This is nuts. From the text I read, Jesus didn't give his followers a business card. He never introduced himself. Hi, I'm Jesus, the Son of God. Follow me. He doesn't say that. So the, the guys are sitting there probably scratching their head. How long did it take him to ask that question? Who is this guy? Little hint, okay? If you keep reading, you're going to get to it. And I'm going to challenge you to read this book. So when you get to them asking that question, circle it. And then send me a text then and say, this is, this is how long it took them. Okay? Now the author, John Mark, goes out of his way to make a point that when people started realizing who Jesus was, whether it was people, whether it was demons, whatever it was, when who Jesus was was getting close to the surface, Jesus had a response to that. That's what he would tell them. In, in verse 23 to 25, suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit began shouting, why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And what does Jesus do? The text says he cut him short and said, be quiet. Shh. When the guy, well, a little further down, more demons. In verse 34, Jesus was healing a lot of people and casting out a lot of demons. And the end of verse 34, it says, but because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. Now, the guy that he had healed from leprosy, you think he was happy? Yes, <laughs> I think he was happy. So what happens? Verse 43, uh, it was verse 42, Instance, instantly the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Shh. I mean, it's almost like Jesus didn't want it to get out as to who he was. Now, why was that? Why, why would he not just hand out business cards? I mean, when you, when you go and you get a business card of a CEO, you start treating her differently, don't you? You start treating him differently because it, it's the president. Yeah, you, I mean, it's sad to say, but you treat the president differently than you treat the intern. So if Jesus would have just given people a CEO, maybe they would have, his business card, maybe they would have treated him better, right? Why would he not want people to know who he is? Well, the common response is that if it got out as to who he was, if it got out too early, he wouldn't have been able to have as effective a ministry as he had, right? If he got too popular too early, he would have got arrested way too soon and things would have become challenging. So Jesus didn't want it advertised as to who he was. He didn't want to hand out his business cards because he'd get too popular too quick. Okay, not a trick question. What chapter in Mark's gospel are we in? One. Watch this. Verse 28. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. <laughs> so much for keeping it a secret, right? <laughs> Verse 45. But the man went, come on, fella. Like, this is the first person to disobey Jesus. The man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. And as a result, large crowds surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in secluded places, but the people from everywhere kept coming to him. Word spread even without business cards. And word spread even with purposeful attempts to keep demons and healed people quiet. So why wouldn't Jesus just tell us right off the bat, this is who I am? 
got to wonder if Jesus wanted us to figure it out by ourselves. I've got to wonder if he wanted those original people who were in this story with him to come to the conclusion himself. You know, just because somebody tells you, this is who I am, maybe back then and maybe even today, it doesn't guarantee they're going to treat you with a certain level of respect. Sometimes it's actually better to keep your title to yourself. I was out shoveling snow several winters back on the church, the church sidewalks, and a gentleman across the street was shoveling his driveway. I hadn't met him yet, so I went over and I helped shovel his driveway. And he said, hey, thank you. What are, are you, you work over there? Mm-hmm. He's a janitor? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes I clean up messes. I got helped him shovel his driveway like four or five, six times that winter. And eventually, he came in and sat down on a Sunday morning. I've got to wonder if he was thinking, why is the janitor talking? <laughs> that guy talks a lot. Today, and I wonder back then, too, if it just said more. For people to experience who somebody was, how they interacted with you, how they loved you. And maybe that's why Jesus didn't just start off with, hi, I'm Jesus, the Son of God. We're asking the question, who is Jesus? And I could tell you what Mark did. I could tell you the same way Mark did it. Jesus is the Son of God. That's what the church has always believed. But I wonder if it would be better for us to experience him. For us to walk with him a bit. I wonder if there's wisdom in Jesus letting us experience who he is and come to the conclusion that we would come to. I want to leave you with a challenge this morning. And for a lot of us, it's going to be an extremely difficult challenge because we've grown up reading this and we know the story so well. I want to challenge you to read Mark's gospel as if you've never read it before and as if you were a participant in the story. Mark's gospel is not long, 16 chapters, so if you do the math, over the next two weeks, if you read a chapter a day and then two on Sundays, you're going to get through the entire book. But read it as if you don't hear the commentator Mark saying, this is the Son of God. Read it as if you're there in the story, and here's my challenge. I would love it if you guys would, as you're done reading, come up with what title you would give Jesus by what you've experienced through reading it. Does that make sense? So if you come up with a title sometime this week, text me. I might ask what you've come up with next week, but over the course of the next two weeks, read the Gospel of Mark as if you've never read it before, and then be able and willing to fill in Jesus' business card. Jesus of Nazareth. What would it say? Are you with me? Let's try that together. Let's pray. Jesus, it can be hard for us, many of us who are so familiar with the story, who have heard the story, some for decades upon decades. It's easy for us to miss what it would have been like for the people in Jesus' day who were experiencing him for the first time, but it's easy for us to miss what it's like for someone today who would be experiencing you for the first time. God, there are more and more people today who claim no faith, uh, and that group is getting bigger. So what an opportunity we have as followers of Christ, maybe new followers, maybe those who are exploring Christ for the first time, maybe longtime followers, what an opportunity we have to live an example of Jesus. And I pray you'd help us do that. 
Lord, I also pray as we jump into the Gospel of Mark in the next couple of weeks, as we wrestle with this question of who is Jesus, I pray that you would help us see Jesus with a new lens, from a new angle. Help us to experience him differently than we have before. And as we do that, we will be careful to give you all the praise and the honor and the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.